and welcome to the Pack Heavy podcast. Now this podcast is for anyone who works in the hospitality and food manufacturing industries who use flexible packaging to get their products to market. Featuring interviews with guests who have traveled the path that you're on so that you can learn from their successes and failures and engage in the mindset required to go all in on your vision. I call this mindset the Pack Heavy mentality and it's primarily driven by deliberate action and extreme organization. You gather market intelligence, put a strong plan in place, organize the appropriate resources, and then confidently test your hypothesis against reality. So if you're ready to pack heavy on your vision, you're in the right place, and I'm excited to have you here. Good morning, and welcome to episode 39, where today I'm joined by Isabel Lamb, who is the co-founder and COO of Remix Snacks. Uh, before we do get started with the show, though, I did want to briefly touch on Food Pack, which is the company that I proudly work for in Vancouver, BC. Now, at Food Pack, there are some things that we definitely specialize in and do extremely well, uh, one of which is flexible packaging, and the other is the packaging equipment to support that flexible packaging. So if you've got a small to medium-sized business or even a large-sized business and you're looking to package up your food product in a flexible pouch or a lay-flat pouch, you need to get in touch with me and have a chat. Flexible packaging is such a great opportunity to get your product out onto the retail shelf, and we've said it quite a few times, but, you know, the first interaction with that a lot of your consumers will have with your brand is on the retail shelf. So it's something that you want to get right. So I like to spend a good 45 minutes having a chat with my clients about what it is exactly that they're looking for, the type of pouch that they're looking to get their product in, how they want the consumer to interact with it, and uh, and you know ensuring that all of the basic fundamentals of functionality are built into the package as well. When it comes to packaging equipment, there's a lot to the conversation as well. And, um, you know, we're fortunate at Food Pack in that we've got a showroom floor packed full of equipment that we can show you. And you're more than welcome to come on into the showroom with your food-based products and, uh, and actually try some of the equipment that we've got on the showroom floor. It's a really great way to, you know, think the production side of your business through and uh, ensure that the piece of equipment that you're about to invest in is actually functional within your business and it's going to actually achieve the output numbers that you're looking to, um, to get out into the world. So if you'd like to learn a little bit more about how I can help you over here, so whether we're talking about a thermoformer or a tray sealer or a vacuum chamber machine or a band sealer, you need to get in touch with me and have a chat. Uh, please reach out at Hayden at thepackofyourpodcast.com. You can DM me on LinkedIn or you can also get in touch with me by giving me a call on my work cell, which is 604-360-6790. Okay, so now that I've got my little marketing piece out of the road, I guess we can kick on with the show. So founded in 2019, Remix Snacks is a Montreal slash Toronto based company that's committed to making simple, delicious and healthy snacks that are both good for their consumer's well-being and good for the environment. Bean Bark, which is their primary product right now, is the market's first vegan chocolate bark that's made with beans instead of nuts, is high in fiber, high in iron and protein rich and that's all achieved by using plant-based protein, beans and upcycled or what they call imperfect fruits in their product. Um, created by Isabel and Jamie and with the addition of Valentine and James's valued skill sets uh, in this really crowded CBG market that they're in uh, absolutely blazing a trail with their brand and with their product and it was a really exciting conversation that Isabel and I had um, we covered so much ground like we do on every episode here on the Pack Heavy podcast but this one in particular was just packed full of information especially when it came to leveraging grants and how the team at Remix really utilized it to um, both grow and survive within their first year of operation uh, we also talked about their appearance on Dragon's Den which was really cool um, the other great conversation that we had or the other really informative piece that we had was about their decision on uh, pivoting from trail mix to bark 
and sort of, you know, the psychological mindset that they sort of had to have and, um, you know, the way that they went about making those decisions, especially in such a quick fashion. So there was one more thing uh, in this recording. There was a little bit of a background noise because there was some construction where Isabel was living. So please bear with it. It does sound like a bit of a heartbeat or a little bit of a background noise on the mic, but it's just, uh, yeah, something we had to work with. So sorry about that. And uh, yeah, enjoy the show. Isabel, welcome to the show. Thank you, Hayden. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. How are things going in Montreal? Going well. It's uh, hot, it's humid, but we're, we're getting by on our virtual teams. <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah, I've never been to Montreal before, but I've got um, family out there and it's definitely on the bucket list. Even if it's just to eat my way around Montreal, I'd love to do that. Oh, that's the best way to see Montreal, honestly, through the food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and with you being a registered dietitian, I'm sure you've explored mm. all of the food there. Oh yeah, there's so much though. I think we've only hit like a small portion, but definitely yeah. so much to try. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I've heard good things about Joe Beef. Yeah, haven't been. It's on my bucket list. Yeah, okay. but definitely want to try that out. <laughs> yeah, no, I've uh, heard good things. I know that they've got a uh, a recipe book and they've got some products out there as well. So I'm hoping to have them yeah. on the show one day if I can. Uh, oh, that'd be cool. If I yeah, could bring some them great on. Sauces. Yeah, yeah. So if there's any listeners out there that know the guys from Joe Beef, you need to introduce me, please. <laughs> yes, connect. <laughs> yeah. So Remix Snacks, you've got a really good thing going on and I've been watching from a distance and Sarah from More Granola obviously was generous and kind enough to uh, Mm. introduce us. So thanks once again, Sarah. This is the third episode uh, where she has introduced me to somebody. So appreciate all of that. But um, yeah, how are things going? I know that you've been in business since 2019 and you've seen some really exceptional growth. And um, I guess the context behind today's conversation really is, um, you know, to provide as much information and content to the listeners who are people just like you um, Mm -hmm. who are running small CPG businesses that are in the active stages of growing their business and um, you know looking to get any insights and um, lessons that you have learned so take us right back to the very very start of Remix where you met Jamie at university and Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear the story. Yeah, for sure. So we actually came up with the idea in 2018, like mid 2018, um, Jamie and I had met in McGill. We actually come from the same town, Markham, but we didn't know each other growing up. We only met like when we were in undergrad and we were roommates across the hall. So ever since that moment, we were introduced to each other. We became best friends and then eventually roommates and um, growing or during the first few years of undergrad, we actually had a cookie jar business. So Mm. we made these little cookie jars at the artisan fair at our campus. And that kind of sparked our Um, initial passion for entrepreneurship we were like hey like we really like this business thing it's not something we ever learned in school because we were studying to be dietitians so we kind of kept that in mind and then during our last year there was a competition at McGill called the Dobson Cup so it was um, like a startup competition we were like okay why not kind of test it out we're about to graduate like end off with a bang so that's when we initially created the idea for Remix Um, and then from there we iterated innovated and changed our product it actually started off as like a trail mix yeah so and so Yeah, ever since then, we've gone through a ton, a ton of changes, but very happy with all the changes that we've made. Yeah, no doubt. So it's all of those um, it's all of those iterations and changes that I'd love to really dig into with mm-hmm. you. So when you go back to the very start and you said you started with the trail mix, tell us a little bit about, you know, where that started and how you went out and tested the product and gathered up that information and eventually arrived at the bark that you're now producing. 
Yeah, for sure. So initially the trail mix idea came from wanting to use beans. It was year of the pulses in the nutrition world. So we really wanted to incorporate this plant-based protein. Um, and then during a global food security class, we were kind of learning about food waste and how like a third of the, the food produced in Canada was wasted. So we wanted to combine these two ideas. Um, so it started off as this like dehydrated mix that we would give out to like people in our internships, our friends and other staff and at the McGill uh, campus. And so we'd get all this feedback and and every time someone tasted it, they were like, honestly, like, it's not that great. <laughs> it's a little too crunchy. And so we got a lot of that feedback at the beginning. So we're like, okay, like we, we need to change this product. Like people don't love it. Mm. And we knew that people need to love it in order for it to sell. And so, so we started adding in chocolate because who doesn't love chocolate? Um, and then um, kind of tweaking the texture because people were still um, complaining about the, the hardness. I remember one of the first stores that we sold in, uh, they called us up like after a customer had bought it, and she's like, you have to change it. Like a customer came in and said she almost broke her tooth. Like that's not okay. Wow. And we we're like, oh no. So we went back and like changed it again. So um, definitely had to do a lot of R&D on that aspect. And then eventually we learned that, okay, we might as well just grind down the beans and incorporate it into a chocolate bar. Um, something that also people were familiar with because when we said like, oh, it's a trail mix with beans, people were very confused and didn't mm. want to try it versus we then pivoted to saying like, oh, it's a chocolate bark that we add in, you know, a source of protein that happens to come from beans. And yeah, people cool. were able to, to understand that. What type of beans are they? Uh, they're black beans. We originally started off with navy beans and then mm -hmm. slowly moved to black beans just for supply reasons. Yeah, cool. Um, I also, and you just suggested that you're using sort of imperfect fruits as well, which would otherwise be, you know, thrown into um, the waste stream. So mm. that's such a genius idea. And actually Sarah from um, Chiwi's Kiwi Chips is also using imperfect kiwi fruits and dehydrating them and turning oh, them into cool. her fruits. So it seems to be a bit of a trend, which is uh, mm -hmm. starting to rise. So you've been at it for a couple of years. So Congratulations on getting that way on that wagon <laughs> nice and early. But it makes total sense because all of this fruit's yeah. still perfect. It tastes delicious and it's, you know, for it to go to waste, it's such a shame. Exactly. Exactly. I think people have such a high standard on like the appearances of food without mm. realizing that like it doesn't affect the nutrition. So mm. that was really important for us to like educate and get that message out there. Especially when you're using it as an ingredient. Exactly. Exactly. Where are you sourcing it from? So originally we used to do it ourselves and we'd go to supermarkets and dehydrate it, but that was a pain and we realized that that wasn't sustainable. So now we work with a few other local companies that already dehydrate um, the fruit. And we realized that it's actually a big part of a lot of dried fruit manufacturing to just use, you know, all types of fruits, because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what it looks like when it's dried. Yeah. So that was a nice surprise to learn uh, through connecting with different suppliers. Yeah, cool. So when you were out there and you were testing your product, did you have a good idea of who your audience was? Or was that something you sort of had to define and sort of um, find at the same time? Um, a little bit of both. I think we went in with the assumption that it would be more for people that knew about nutrition and were kind of more conscious about what they were eating. Mm. And over time, we've kind of further defined that. We tried really hard to fix it to a demographic, but we realized like a psychographic um, analysis was even better to kind of like look for those people that were or realizing that it was people that were not only a little bit health conscious, but also a little bit eco conscious, but not like yeah. super health nuts either, because there's a little bit of sugar and a little bit of fat in our product. So mm -hmm. finding that balance between the two was what we found was our target market. Yeah, that's cool. And then you've had to build a brand around that as well. So mm -hmm. I mean, I'd love to dig into the branding piece, but I think we could probably still explore a little bit more about the product and who your audience are. So were you actually going out there and having conversations with people or, you know, 
what I've found is a common theme when I've been talking to business owners just like you is that a lot mm. of them have gone to farmers markets and, you know, had that face-to-face conversation. So was that an approach that you took as well? Yeah, absolutely. So in the first summer that we were kind of still creating the product, we went to the farmers markets here in Montreal and um, had people taste it and we had little feedback forms that they would fill out and then mm. we would kind of take notes of the conversations. So that was huge. And then also um, the stores that did take us on like the little mom and pop shops, we would do sampling there as well. And same thing, try to get feedback from the customers, talk to them and, and really see as they were tasting it, like what their experience was. Mm. And is that how you developed your different flavor profiles as well? Because from what I can see, you've got three mm-hmm. SKUs, but one of them is relatively new. So which was the one that you actually kicked off the show with? Uh, we start, first started with apples. Um, that was the easiest kind of fruit that we were able to dehydrate and find. And then cranberries came shortly after because we wanted to keep it local. Yeah. And then peaches, to be honest, was just something that we all really liked. <laughs> and yeah. we were like, okay, like um, it, it works really well. We had a good supplier. And so we just added that in. And recently we launched um, strawberry and pineapple as well. So those are ah, right. two new that we added in uh, just two weeks ago, actually. Right. So strawberry and pineapple, or is it a strawberry pineapple combo? Uh, separate. Oh, okay, cool. So yeah, you guys yeah. are really getting out there as well. Um, and how's the feedback been on those new SKUs? Uh, people love it. Uh, the fruit is really like what pops for them and it's like yep. a more summery kind of vibe to it. So they've yep. been really liking it. Yeah. yeah, nice. Yeah, it's very seasonal, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so you've been at it for a few seasons. So have you noticed those peaks and valleys of the seasonality of of um, of the weather, especially out east as well? Like you guys get really mm-hmm. cold winters and really hot summers. So yeah. what's the impact that that's been on your sales and growth? Um, so what we've realized over the last couple of years is chocolate doesn't sell in the summer and it kind of makes sense. Like it melts, it's kind of a hassle to bring around. So we definitely see, um, the lows there between the months of like May till August. Mm -hmm. And then we really see things pick up, uh, for back to school because a lot of moms actually like it, uh, because there's no nuts and like, it doesn't have any allergens in it. So they're able to bring it to school and then definitely for Christmas, obviously it's a great like gift basket and Easter. So those are kind of like our high peak months. Yeah. Got you. Yeah. I can imagine during the busy periods, you guys would just be, you know, full on heads down in production. How yeah. do you sort of, and I'm not going to use the word like fill your time lightly, because obviously mm-hmm. you're extremely busy, but how do you sort of fill those moments where your production slows down? What do you focus on at those times? Um, so actually we moved to a co-manufacturer recently, so it's kind of been nice to offload that. I did uh, see that as well. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So that was a big move this year that we did, um, at around March, April. Mm-hmm. So kind of to fill the time overall, we, we split our roles within the three of us in the team. So yep. I manage more of the liaison between us and the production team at our co-manufacturing, as well as like getting things shipped and the logistics and admin, admin side of things. Yep. Yep. Uh, Jamie does more of like the marketing and the distribution and then Val, who's our marketing manager, does the online marketing, the social media, all that. Yeah, it's nice to have a little crew around you. Um, yeah. Before you um, you employed Valentine and James, you would have been taking it on yourself as well. So at what point did you sort of realize that you needed to bring some more people onto the team? Um, I think when Jamie and I looked at what needed to be done and what we could realistically do in our expertise, yeah. I think it was almost a one, like, yeah, one year in, we were like, okay, like it's time to bring in some new fresh perspectives onto the team and kind of like expand that. So we could focus on the bigger picture of the company. Yeah, um, yep. And that's when we started to bring on new interns and, and have people. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, I mean, to bring on employees, you've got to be generating some revenue and you've got to have some, you know, cash in the reserves to be able to mm-hmm. employ these people. So was it also a decision based on sort of the financials of the business and how you are tracking as well? 
Yeah, for sure. So for like the first year we were running on like grant money that we had received uh, right. through the prize that we won. Yeah. So that was really great, you know, to hold the two of us over. We were still working part-time jobs, obviously yeah. to supplement our income. Yeah. And then um, we applied to a bunch of other grants that allowed us to subsidize uh, wages for these interns. Mm. So that was huge for us being able to like use that grant money to get us started. And then after that, as we had more revenue coming in, then we were able to bring Val on uh, full-time. Yeah, you're mad not to use those resources. To say yeah yeah there's so much out there it's just a matter of finding them and applying for the right ones where did you go to find these resources and um you know where you were part of programs that gave you those insights or did you actively go out mm. there and look for the grants so at the beginning we honestly i just googled <laughs> i would google yeah, yeah. you know like grants uh cpg canada and yep. then we were fortunate enough to be part of uh, an accelerator program last at the end of last year called y space with york I university did see that. yeah yeah yep. the same one that sarah did or is doing now and yep. so they were super useful in just connecting us with different people in the industry and letting us know when different grants would come out because they were yep. one of the first people that would hear of it. Mm. Um, so that's honestly recently how we've found out of all the grants that we're applying to. Right. So when applying for these grants, like mm-hmm. what are the common themes between them all and what are they that they're looking for? And what was it that made you successful in your application process? Yeah, I think a big one, and even just talking to other people that do write grants, um, is figuring out the impact that you can create and really emphasizing that. Like, what's, yes, everyone wants to build a business. Yes, everyone wants to have revenue and build sales. But, like, at the end of the day, what is your company trying to accomplish aside from the money? And for us, really iterating that and and being confident in knowing, like, what our mission was um, really helped us. And then also being organized in terms of, like, uh, explaining why we needed the money and exactly where the money was going. Mm. Previously, when we were unsuccessful, we would be really vague about like, oh yeah, we just needed money to put into strategies. But now when we apply, we're like, okay, this amount's going to go into this strategy. This amount's going to go into this strategy. Mm. And I found that a lot more successful. Cool. So it sounds like you spent a lot of time up front, sort of figuring out what your mission was, what your business organizational structure looked like. Mm-hmm. And you probably had a really good and clear vision of what it is that you were trying to achieve, even though that's kind of loose because you sort of, you know, you move your way around to eventually get to where you're going. Yeah. Uh, you know, where did you start when, um, when you both sat down and you were sort of trying to figure out the direction of the business and what it is exactly that you were looking to build into it? Like mm-hmm. where was the, where did that conversation lead and, and how did you actually get it down on paper? That's a good question. I think we we had two main points within the last few years that we did that. First, when we were creating the business plan for the competition, uh, we had to figure out obviously to, to send submit it. Yeah. Um, so there we were like, okay, let's draw on like what we've experienced as dietetics interns and nutrition students. Like, what do we see lacking in the industry? And so that's what generated, you know, like okay, more healthy snacks, like more eco friendly snacks. Um, and so that's where that initial part came from. And then about a year in, we sat down again. We we're like, okay, so much has changed like let's rework this let's figure out like what our why is what our yeah. what is like how we're going to accomplish that the golden circle and we did a whole like five hour session just on that to figure out um where we wanted and redefine our mission redefine our values yeah perfect that makes it so clear and easy and i've said it a few times but when you have mm-hmm. something that you can filter all of your decisions through it yeah. really helps to make those decisions you know mm-hmm. because it eliminates a lot of the noise you know, um, is that what you found as well? 
Yeah, exactly. Funny enough, we were just in a meeting talking about a new potential product that we've been struggling to develop. And then we just sat down and we're like, okay, like, where does this fit into our mission? Like, where does it fit into our values? Are we really creating impact? And ultimately the answer was no. And so we had to like sideline it. So Hmm. definitely a great filter to to figure out where you want to go and where we wanted to bring the direction of the company. That's cool. Um, When I was researching um, you both in the business Mm -hmm. as well, I saw that you did feature on Dragon's Den as well. So (laughs) that would have been a pretty big sort of, um, you know, moment for you because I saw Mm -hmm. that you're also successful too. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, definitely an experience to remember. Um, We were actually auditioning for that like two months after we even came up with the idea for Remix. We hadn't even competed in the competition yet. We wanted to just go in and practice. We're like, okay, it's a great opportunity. Um, And then funny enough, like a month later, we got a call from the producer during our internships being like, hey, we want to invite you to Toronto. We're like, oh my God. We're like screaming (laughs) over the phone in the hallway, but trying to be quiet at the same time. We were at the hospital. Um, But yeah, definitely. And then we were working with like a producer and figuring out our pitch and it was definitely an experience and then by the time we went on we were so nervous we were sweating um we had waited in the green room for like a few hours because you have to wait for all the pitches to go and they were like okay it's your turn the um the dragons just ate so they're in a good mood so we're like yes perfect (laughs) (laughs) um so we walked down we did it it was great we had practiced our pitch like millions of times before Um, even just to practice because jamie and i were roommates at the time we Mm. would sit down at dinner and rewatch pitches and take notes of all the questions they could possibly ask us and and practice answering and even have like um friends and family that were in the finance industry like quiz us just to make sure we knew so going in we were pretty confident um and thankfully the dragons were super nice they were very very supportive um after we told our story about us being students and what we wanted to do with the food industry and ultimately on the show yeah we did got a deal um and so that was really cool to to be able to walk away from that yeah congratulations um i've had another couple of guests who have also featured on dragon's den as well i had eve from ease crackers uh who was on the yeah on it and also sarah from chiwis who i mentioned before she was on Mm -hmm. the show uh, with a previous business that she was involved with too so i've heard nothing but good things Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. definitely cool experience that's cool from that what was the benefit of being on the show like did you notice that there was an uptake in your business and you know a little bit more exposure definitely helps but what was sort Mm -hmm. of the benefits that you saw Uh, Definitely a lot more exposure and we had just set up our online uh, platform then we were using Wix and so we we saw a huge jump in orders there. Um, And then after that, it was just kind of a nice antidote to drop to retailers and customers to be like, hey, we were on Dragon's Den and it added a lot of credibility and we use it to this day as well. So it's nice to to kind of draw from that experience. for marketing purposes and everything. Oh, that's cool. Um, you just mentioned um, when you were talking to the dragons that they were impressed with sort of the impact that you were trying to make on the food in the CPG industry. Mm-hmm. It's pretty daunting, like entering that mm-hmm. world, like especially with such established brands and you walk into a grocery store and you're like, how am I going to end up on this shelf one day? Like, is it even possible? Yeah. How do you wrap your head around like those early days of like, this is what my vision is. This is what I want to do. And I don't even know where to start. Like, what were those thoughts that you had running through your mind? Yeah, definitely intimidating. It was like, okay, how do we, how can we envision ourselves even on like a Loblaw shelf, like a Sobe shelf, like one day. And I think we started off small because we didn't have that business background. It was both Mm -hmm. like a pro and a con. Mm -hmm. Um, The pro being, we didn't really know what was ahead of us. We were just like, okay, let's do it. Like 
let's yep. try it and see. And so without kind of those barriers of like, oh no, what if this goes wrong? What if this goes wrong? We just did it. And I think that was a huge um, advantage for us to just like slowly get into the mom and pop shops and build our reputation through there. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, with neither of you having that business background, I can imagine mm-hmm. you would have had to leverage a lot of people around you. So do you have a team of mentors or anybody that you bounce ideas off or work alongside? Yeah, so early on, um, because we had participated as a part of like McGill, they have a great entrepreneurship community there. And so we had some great mentors, um, we're connected with other startups as well that we were able to kind of like talk with and bounce ideas off of. And then YSpace was another huge one for us because yeah. at McGill, it's more tech startups. And so the food industry, like you said, is so different that when we went into YSpace, it was really nice to be able to have those people within the industry that truly understood what we were going through and, yeah. and what steps we needed to take. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What's the Montreal um, startup culture like? Um, definitely like more tech. I think we've seen more food pop up now. Yeah, right. um, but yeah, it's definitely interesting. It's a it's a tight knit community. Everyone kind of knows each other. So it's cool to be able to like talk to some bigger brands and be like, hey, like, what do you think of this? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Um, you know, I guess the the different cities all have got a different feel. And, you know, I've been speaking mm. to a few people from Toronto and the startup culture is really good and strong there. And there seems to yeah. be a little community that everybody feels that they're a part of and they're flicking, mm-hmm. it, you know, text messages or they're part of a, a WhatsApp group. Are you a part of a little group like that as well, where you feel as if, you know, you've got your finger on the pulse around you? Yeah, I feel like we're in a few groups, like we're lucky enough to be like we're in Montreal physically, but our yep. company is also based out of Toronto. So right. we're able to draw from like both groups and and have those little communities that we yeah. can bounce ideas off of and be like, hey, um, let's do this together, or like collaborate. Do you envisage the business moving to Toronto proper in time or do you sort of see yourself living in Montreal for a significant amount of time? So thankfully with COVID, we've realized that working virtually is quite easy on our team because we kind of like start to outsource our distribution and our manufacturing. Yeah. Technically, we are based in Toronto, even yep. though all of us live in Montreal. Yep. Um, so yeah, definitely as we expand across Canada, we we see it as a smooth transition. And even as we grow our team that we don't necessarily have to be stuck in one city, mm. that we can definitely be elsewhere and, and still have a great culture and great communication. Yeah, that's great. Um, when you were out there looking and qualifying co-packers, what was it exactly that you were looking for in a co-packer and how did you land up on the business that's in um, Toronto? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, definitely a few different different things. One was communication. For us, that's always huge with any partner that we work with. Like mm-hmm. We're very pertinent that we want transparent and open communication in all aspects at every step of the way. Yeah. Um, two, that they had the right kind of machinery and the right expertise to do it. We didn't want to have to like buy new equipment or get a bunch of new stuff just for them to do it. So mm. making sure that it's something that they could handle. Yeah. Um, and then three, just kind of proximity to everything because we kind of started our expansion more so in Ontario we Mm. wanted to have a co-packer that was in Ontario so that the travel time wouldn't be really long between uh, our co-packer and our distributor that's right um how long did you um were you out there scouting for co-packers for was it like a a long process for you or was Mm -hmm. it something that you snapped up pretty quickly um, I think from start to finish from the time that we decided we wanted to start with a co-packer to us actually starting our first production run was around six months. Oh, wow. That's pretty good. Yeah, so not yeah. too bad. <laughs> yeah, nice. Um, so you've been at business for a while right now and, you know, looking mm-hmm. at all of the content you're putting out into the world, things look to be looking bright for you. You've mm-hmm. got distribution, you're getting into the large banners. What's next? Mm-hmm. Like, where are you growing? I see that you're also down in the States as well. Yeah, so we, at the end of last year, we started to like launch our e-commerce in the States. And I think 
within the next like three years, we definitely want to be in retailers down there mm. uh, just because there's such a big population. We know that there's the right target markets for us too. Yeah. But before then, uh, right now, we're actually working on just expanding across Canada. So we signed with a distributor out West for like BC and Alberta, mm-hmm. and then also in Quebec to kind of like get into the retail banners here. Mm-hmm. So that's our next big move. And then also expanding our product line. So working on some new stuff, um, still keeping our mission or values in line, but kind yeah. of expanding our selection there. For anyone out West that wants to have a look at putting your product on the shelf, who do they need to contact? What distributor are you working with? Out West, we're working with Planet Foods. Okay. And yeah, in Ontario, it's Grey Jays. And in Quebec, it's with Directa. But Directa. you can always shoot us an email um, yeah. and I can connect you with the right people and would love to connect with uh, other retailers as well. That's cool. How did you go finding your distributors? Um, so that's Janie's Alley. It was a lot of research, a lot of talking to other companies and what distributors they use. Yep. It's all about, once again, back to the communication that was important mm-hmm. for us and important that the distributor had the same mission and knew what we were about so that when they went to go sell it to retailers that they were conveying the same mes- message that we would be conveying if it was us. So mm-hmm. uh, that was definitely an interesting process, something that we didn't know much about until we were in it and yep. definitely a learning process through there. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess one of the things about, you know, onboarding all of these um, components of your business, this is everybody wants a clip, you know, everybody wants a little slice of that margin as well. So when you were first developing your product and you were going out and testing everything and where Mm -hmm. were you looking to sort of figure out where you wanted to enter the world uh, with a price point? And have you had to reevaluate that over time as well? Yeah. So definitely when we first started pricing our product, we looked at two things. One, obviously our profit margin Mm -hmm. and two, what our competitors were priced at. So we looked at different barks, um, compared our price per gram and made sure that one, our sizing was similar and two, that our pricing was similar. Um, So that's how we first started. And then um, as a lot of companies have experienced with COVID, a lot of the ingredients prices also went up. So we kind of had to adjust everything mm. over the past year and a half to just make sure that we still had a good enough margin, like you said, to give to the distributor, to give to you know the retailer and still have enough for us um, mm. at the end of the day. Yeah, no, for sure. That all sounds um, pretty on the ball with where everybody else has sort of um, commented <laughs> yeah. on the way that they approached it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked about all of the the positive aspects of business, but I sort of want to dig into some of the real learning aspects of the business. And a lot of learning, sure. as you know, sort of comes in the form of mistakes or, mm-hmm. you know, where have the sort of been some, um, what have the points in the business been where you've had to sort of really stop and think something through because of a decision you've made that you've either had to retract or... Um, what have been some lessons that you've learned along the way? Yeah, I think the first one that I briefly mentioned before was just the pivot from like trail mix to Mm. bark. We were so set on this trail mix. Um, We iterated even that version so many times and ultimately we had to stop and be like, okay, like this isn't going to work. If we Mm want to be in the business, we're going to have to change our product. And so that was a huge point for us just one year in where we we made that pivot and we rebranded everything in terms of like our marketing material, how we sold it, even what it said on like our packaging. And so that was a huge, huge turning point for us. Um, in terms of just learning from like, okay, the mistakes of we've had customers complain, we've had retailers complain, like we want to rebuild those relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was big for us. And then I think at the beginning of COVID, we had invested like a lot of money into just like doing expos and stuff like that. And then Mm -hmm. obviously it didn't happen. And so that was a big point for us. Like, oh, wow, we just spent a lot of money on things that we're not going to be able to use anymore. So like a lot of other companies, we had to step back and re-strategize and be like, okay, we did that, the money spent, but how do we move forward from this yeah. and kind of innovate our marketing and, and really turn to e-commerce and turn to digital strategies. Yeah. 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 And not dwell on it either. That's yeah, a huge exactly. mental challenge. How did you get yeah, through that? For sure. 
Uh, I think March was definitely a tough month for us. We were very kind of like lost as to, okay, what do we do? Like everything that we've ever done in terms of marketing and getting that brand, our brand out there, we can't do anymore. And so we were kind of stumbling. We kind of took a little bit of a break um, just to refresh our minds, really understand what we wanted out of the company. And Mm. that's when we first started connecting to Space and other people in the Markham community. And that Mm. was really helpful, just connecting with Judy and David there to like realign our values and figure out, okay, like we can move forward from this. It's just a matter of like changing our perspective and changing like little things within the company in order to move forward. So what you're suggesting is, you know, when you had those moments of either, you know, fear or doubt, you didn't go internal or you may have to start with, but you actually reached out to the community. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's something that we definitely learned. Jamie's a lot better at it than I am in terms of just like reaching out. And that's something slowly I've had to learn to do because it's like, yes, this company is our baby. Like it's everything that we do, but there's so many people out there that are willing to help you and willing to support you and want to support you. And it's about just like making those connections. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I read on your website that, you know, Jamie's the yin to your yang. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, basically. basically. That's cool. You guys are lucky that you found each other. Oh, absolutely. I think we've heard a lot of like stories about other co-founders and how sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. Yep. And we were so lucky to to be able to have a strong relationship at the beginning and mm. we'd work together on like different clubs and stuff. So we knew yeah. our strengths and weaknesses and thankfully like her strengths are my weaknesses and my strengths are her weaknesses. So yep. it worked out really, really well. You work out pretty quickly at university who you can and can't work with, hey? <laughs> yeah, group projects. <laughs> they're the best and they're the worst. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> I know there's a part of me that misses them as well but at the same time I'm like ah you know I really enjoy working by myself but there's something about working with a team that is kicking butt you know it's awesome Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um so you're a marathon runner uh yes I am (laughs) are you still running at the moment or is it something that you sort of do in spurts uh, no, I'm always training. I think it's a great thing to kind of have away from remix and mm. be able to like have those moments to myself to run and like de-stress. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I recently ran a triathlon this weekend. So that was oh, really wow. fun. So it's fun to be able to have that side of, of life, I guess, outside of the company, but For still sure. integrate it at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you're running, do you sort of um, consider it a form of meditation? Yeah, absolutely. Funny enough, I was talking to my boyfriend about that. We were like, oh, we should get into meditating again. And then we realized, oh, like running is my meditation. You already are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're so present and in the moment. But then when I'm running, which I need to get back into, yeah. I um, I tend to, yeah, that's when I have my best thoughts. You know, that's when right? I'm sort of, yeah, I, I daydream. Like my mind yes. is elsewhere. So it is sort of like a meditation in that you get a break from that every day. But exactly. then you come back and yeah, it's, it's a, um, there's something about having that sweat. Hey. Yeah, that sweat, that fresh air, it just mm-hmm. brings a whole like refresh into your day. Yeah. So you sort of consider that a, a key component component of your repertoire, um, not only for the business, but just mm-hmm. for you and how you operate as a um, the leader of the business as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's so important. Like Jamie and I have different kind of side hobbies outside mm. of the business that we do mm-hmm. either together or separately. And it's good to have that time. I think work-life balance is something that I really try to advocate within like our company. And every time we come together, like it's just important to have that time to to talk and like have our things outside and then have business. Mm. What else yeah. do you do on the side? Um, so both of us are still dietitians. So yep. um, we still see clients from here here and there just mm-hmm. to maintain like our license and it's nice to also have that like once again outside kind of world <laughs> to the business yeah um I run I swim um yeah and I like cooking Jamie that's great too. 
Yeah. When I was reading about Jamie, I saw that she's uh, working at SUMA Nutrition in Montreal. And it Mm. sounds extremely rewarding because that's uh, working with people with disorders and, uh, you know, getting them through the recovery process. So I can imagine like Mm. the extreme amount of, or the rewarding, you know, aspect of working in a business like that or working alongside these patients. Like, do you call them patients? I guess patients, clients, clients, patients. Yeah. Yeah. It would be extremely rewarding helping them through probably some of the hardest periods of their life. Yeah, she loves it. And she she does great work there for sure. Like a really, really good impact. Yeah, cool. So we could take this conversation in many different areas, but we haven't touched on branding yet. And I think it's a really okay. important piece of the conversation because the brand is what, you know, the interaction that your consumer has with you. Um, it's the emotive experience that is, you know, conjured up when they pick up the bag. And, you know, before they even taste your product, they're sort of imagining what it's going to be like based on what's on your bag and the brand that you've built around it. So where did you start with your brand and how did it evolve over time as well? Yeah. So in terms of like branding and packaging, that was basically us that designed at the beginning. Jamie was in charge of like, she's more creative. Um, So she designed it and we were kind of tweak it. And we originally, our packaging started off as like labels and craft paper. And Mm -hmm. so we did that for like a good year, I think. And then after that, we were like, okay, maybe it's time to go out and get like a real designer and have someone who truly understands like what what branding means in the food industry. Because like you said, it's kind of like that initial impression that you make on customers. Mm -hmm. We like to say like within the first three seconds, we need to have our packaging convey like the most important message to get that out there Mm -hmm. and so uh we worked with the designers to work through that and really figure out like okay what needs to stand out what's the most important information what color should we be using um and all that and so that really helped us to just create a big rebranding uh that we did unfortunately at the beginning of covid but it was still a great experience (laughs) to to get all that new packaging out there Mm. how many versions do we use sort of deciding between so when you spoke with the designer did they sort of nail it right from the start or was it sort of like you came up with a brief and you're like you know what I want three or four different examples I want them all to be very very different and take them all in different directions so that we can sort Mm -hmm. of have a vision for what it is that we're looking for and narrow it down from there what was your approach in that respect yeah so I think the first thing that we did was just sit down and like explain our our what we envisioned our company to be Mm -hmm. and what we envisioned our product to be and they took that and created four iterations that were yeah pretty different and so we sat down again and looked at every single one it was like okay what message does each convey there was one that was like more girly there was one that was more like looked like protein like a gym bro kind of yeah, vibe. like a masculine and, feel yeah yeah exactly and then there was um one that was closer to ours and another more artisanal one and mm-hmm. so we kind of like weighed the pros and cons of each one and ultimately mm-hmm. went back to that golden circle that we had and like yeah. okay what's our mission what's our impact what's mm-hmm. our target market and mm-hmm. And using that kind of filtered out to what it is today, because mm-hmm. we didn't want it to be too feminine, because yes, our target market, we realized was a lot of women, but we didn't want to kind of like disclude men from that and yeah. um, other people. And we didn't yep. want it to be too masculine and too gym like, because it yep. wasn't like exactly that either. So, yeah. yeah. I, I think you found a really nice place for it as well. Um, I've said it a few times to some of the um, guests that I've had on the show, but mm-hmm. it's amazing where when I've been doing the research and I've been jumping on a website and sort of really assessing your business from an outsider's perspective and trying to get a really good feel and understanding for it. Yeah. It's amazing how 
quickly you can figure out who your target audience is. Like I just got it. Like it's it's really yeah. obvious to me, especially when you start looking at the social media handles and all of the oh. um the content that you're putting out. And one thing that I was really impressed by was the content that you're pushing out into the world as well. Like you're very active with your blogs. They're all referenced, which was cool as well. I thought that was a great mm-hmm. approach in that the content is referenced really clearly. So you know that it's um you know content that you can you know comfortably rely on. Exactly. And you've also got the mindful snacking movement that you've got going on too, which was unique. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah. So it's something that Jamie and I are quite prominent um, in terms of like conveying to our clients when we have consultations in our dietetics Mm. practice. It's an approach that we already take. And we were like, okay, well, it's a big part that we're dietitians and remix. So why not kind of connect that message back to the company? Um, And so we wanted to kind of create that movement to show people like, you know what, snacking isn't, it's important what you're putting in your mouth, but it's also important, like how you're doing it and the environment that you're eating. And so we developed this movement to kind of like showcase that. Um, So yeah, it's been really cool to to be able to incorporate both sides of like being a business owner, but also being a dietitian and having them merge together. Yeah, no, that is extremely rewarding. What's the feedback been like? Um, at the beginning, it was cool to kind of like have our dietetics friends also like be involved in it. Uh, yeah. Thankfully, we're part of that community. So they were really interested. It, um, there's not a lot of dietitians in the food industry. So it was kind of cool to be that prominent and kind of mm. showcase that. Mm-hmm. We haven't worked on it recently. We've been working on some other projects. So definitely something that we want to come back to in the near future. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um you know, we've, we've covered a lot of ground and we've just touched on branding. And I would really like to talk to you about the future for Remix Snacks. Like we did talk about, you know, growth down into the States, but what's your long-term vision? Like, where do you want to go with this business? Where do you see it in 10 to 15 years time? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think we, we planned out our 10 year plan a few months ago. Mm. And for there, we wanted to be like, obviously we had like a sales projection revenue yeah. um, where we wanted to be like a good chunk of the market share within the, the snack industry, but really diversify that as well. Like we obviously don't want to just be chocolate. We want to be a household name for snacks itself and maintain that vision of like using plant-based protein and upcycled yeah. ingredients. Yeah. So that's where we see ourselves. And, and yeah, we like to say like, we want to be a household name for snacks, you know, across Canada and North America. That's great. That's a huge vision. Yeah. Yeah. Big shoes to fill. (laughs) Big shoes to fill. So what is your plan to sort of get you there? Like I can imagine you would have to bring on some more staff. You'd have to sort of look Mm -hmm. at your distribution model as it currently is and what what it needs to be to get to that point. So what are the biggest pillars that you have to work on to get there? I think um, definitely the distribution factor is key, like you mentioned. In terms of our production, we worked a lot on that with the co-packer. And and so we like to say that like our foundation there is built. Um, Something that we've been working on is really sales velocity. So it's like, okay, it's great that we're in all these stores, but how do we get customers to repurchase again and have things moving off shelves? Because at Mm -hmm. the end of the day, that's what really matters. And so that's what our, our key I guess, like thing that we're working on right now to make sure that our vision can actually like be fulfilled. That's cool. Are there other businesses that you're looking to for inspiration? Um, Definitely our competitors and other like uh, of our entrepreneurship startup friends, like within the food industry, we, we try to connect with people whenever we have a problem like this. So recently we, we just called up a bunch of people and we're like, Hey, like, what are you guys doing in terms of this sales velocity thing? What do you recommend connected with our mentors? And that was cool to have like all these different perspectives. Mm. Um, I think a great piece of advice that we received, like at the end of the day, yeah, you can get like all this advice and all this perspective, but it's really your company you can Mm. do whatever you want. So, Mm. um, we, we take that to heart and we kind of take everything that we learn from other people and like 
bring it in and be like, okay, like, what do we really want to do? Where do we really want to take this? Mm. Do you, are you trying to build the business so that you can live a certain lifestyle? Like, do you want to eventually step away from the business at some point so that you can focus on other areas of your life? Or is it something you can always see yourself being involved in? That's a good question. We haven't thought like too, too far. <laughs> we were working <laughs> on the baby steps for the next yeah, five year plan. Yeah. Yep. Um, I definitely do think that we will have this business for at least like a decade, two decades, yep. and then yep. go from there and see yep. if we, you know, sell or if we get acquired or we don't know where the future brings us, but definitely something that we, we have started to think about and, and see it's what our strategy is. Yeah. yeah, no, that's really exciting. But it, like you mentioned, like it's important to be here and now and, mm-hmm. you know, focus on building out the business so that you can eventually get to that point. But yeah, a lot of work to be exactly. done between here and there. Hey, <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, listen, we've covered a lot of ground. Um, thank you so much for your time today. If anybody wanted to reach out and get in touch with you, what's the best way? Yeah, um, our website would be www.remixsnacks.ca. That's the best way to find more info about us and contact us as well. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Hayden. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening today. If you have any questions from today's episode or would like to know more about what I can do to help you achieve your packaging vision, you can reach me directly at Hayden at thepackheavypodcast.com. You could DM me on Instagram at thepackheavypodcast, or we could also connect on LinkedIn and start a conversation there. I'll see you next week.